Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Welcome back to the Training Room Talk. I'm John Herding. I'm here with Rob Rubina, Ray Carr, and Nick Perugini, and today we're going to talk about placing strength on top of dysfunction. Um, we are joking around just in the pre-show kind of um, talk about we should just hit record because we just had a little bit of a debate of whether placing strength on dysfunction is appropriate or not, um, and maybe we'll get into that debate a little bit more um, because we all typically agree that you don't want to place strength on top of dysfunction because you want to move optimally under load. Um, but bringing other instances into it, um, which will bring up some of those examples, sometimes you might have to load um, a dysfunctional movement pattern and make the body resilient based on what an athlete or a person's goals or what they're trying to achieve. So, so we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but first, we wanted to define dysfunction a little bit for you guys. Um, and basically, what we're saying as a broad definition is whatever you would describe as a movement pattern outside of the typical norms, right? And, and with that comes not having the prerequisite range of motion and motor control for a particular movement, right? So um, if you guys are familiar with some of the movement screens out there, it's, you know, when you're screening one side of the body to the other, are there asymmetries, um, front to back asymmetries, rotational asymmetries? And then even breaking it down into like a joint by joint, like does a shoulder exhibit less range of motion and decrease stability on one side versus the other that's going to maybe limit an athlete's ability to do a bilateral lift? Um, and same thing with hip range of motion. Um, does one, one hip have more range of motion than the other? And how does that dictate how you're going to program um, through the rehab and performance process? Um, so basically, um, that would be our definition of dysfunction, having the prerequisite range of motion and motor control for particular movements. Um, and then looking at what we're looking for in the goals of rehab versus strength and conditioning. There's definitely times in the rehab process, um, specifically tendinopathies, where we do have to um, introduce load to create these um, tolerance of tissue loading and remodeling um, for ultimately healing in the long run. Um, so basically, if we're looking at it, guys, um, through times when we don't want to place strength on dysfunction, what are you guys' thoughts on, on that? So I think, you know, when, anytime that we are, we're training, right, it's a, it's a controlled environment, it's our laboratory, we are looking to train in ideal positions because, you know, and, and, really because this is the time where we can make the, you know, significant change in our movement patterns. You know, so, you know, we believe that, you know, as strength coaches, as physical therapists, that when we're training, you know, when, when we're practicing, we are going to shoot for optimal positions, meaning we're not really going to be placing too much load or too much load on dysfunctional movement patterns. You know, so our main goal is taking the athletes or the individuals, you know, mobility, um, their stability, their assessment, taking that data into consideration when designing a program, when choosing appropriate exercise selection to load them in optimal for them uh, patterns. And so once again, we're going to, you know, 
on the performance side of things, you know, when it's game time, there are unexpected, you know, movements. There are, we see a non-optimal um, movement patterns, but when it's time to train, this is where we control as much as we can control. And where we hopefully, you know, ingrain and produce habitual patterns. So when it becomes an uncontrolled setting, they default to a great movement pattern. I agree, Nick. That was great. That was well said. I think um, the goal of training is to optimize, you know, performance. And when you look at optimizing performance, there's a lot of factors you have to consider. Um, one starts with just like understanding your body and having good body awareness and body control. And you know, if you don't have good body control, good body awareness, you know, lacking range of motion, kind of the same definition that John said, um, you're 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 going to struggle to load. Um, so it, you, know, you have to, you know, use load effectively to improve the quality movement that you portray. Um, and just kind of like talking out loud, I was thinking like, in what scenario would I use load to improve someone's, you know, um, exercise technique? Um, only I think a couple scenarios. And when I say load, it's, it's low load. Um, for example, if someone can't squat, Right, they you've assessed they 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 can't squat to parallel or you know there's there's something happening in their squat which is limiting their ability to to achieve proper technique to your standards. Um, you know, would would providing that person a light dumbbell via goblet load or anterior load improve their squat technique? Um, and if, if 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 that question to that answer is yes, um, then I guess you are loading strength on dysfunction but you're using it in a different way you're using it to improve their their movement quality um but again it's not low it's not heavy it's it's a light load um i, I don't know your guys thoughts on that yeah i think like in that situation uh where you're giving somebody to improve their squat form like a dumbbell I mean, what ultimately you're doing is giving them stability most likely yeah um so, I mean, maybe what I would do prior to that is maybe see how they do under with a heel lift um, or maybe a band around the knees or maybe addressing tempo, uh, anything along those lines before giving them any kind of load for stability. Um, but there certainly is always that point where, um, you know, you might have to, you know, introduce some loads. So. And like I've seen some pretty good strong lifters look at their bodyweight squat. If you guys have seen this too, like their bodyweight squat's awful. They can't they can't squat. Um, you put it even and then if, if they put a bar on their back with two twenty five and their squat technique looks beautiful. Uh, no, I agree. Tough, I had tough topic. we were talking about yesterday. We had an international level strongman in yesterday, and so he's I think he what do we look at? He deadlifts over seven. I, I forget what his squat was, but he, he, I mean, he's competing in worlds and uh, his body weight squat was atrocious, <laughs> but you know, like under load, like a little bit of, even though he's strong, he lacks some of the prerequisite stability and, and joint control that um, the, the weight helped him achieve. Right. Um, you know, so, so I think sometimes adding a little bit of load, like you guys both said, like it gives them stability um, to improve joint mechanics, right? Um, so, so sometimes, you know, that's, I, I don't even know, would you consider that placing, 
you know, load on dysfunction or is it, it's a load to improve function, right? Um, which, which is ultimately the goal. Just altering biomechanics. Exactly. Through giving stability. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think a, uh, you know, I, I think, I think a question here is, you know, that does dysfunctional movement patterns, uh, does that, do they cause pain? You know, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a big question here. And, and, you know, if I'm going to just kind of go out and, and kind of give a disclaimer is, you know, I think the title of this podcast, like, are we putting strength on dysfunction? You know, I, I read Greg Lehman's, you know, first blog post, you know, should we do this? Should we put strength on dysfunction? And it really opened my eyes that, you know, up to a certain level, you know, and it's good, this is going to vary from person to person that we should be able to move however, however we want to move. And for any given, you know, movement pattern, you know, I'm actually just looking at my, my posture right now. Like I'm sitting, you know, with my back rounded, my shoulders rounded right now, and, you know, I'm not in pain. But, you know, to a certain level, if I sustain this posture for, I don't know, three hours straight, I could potentially experience some discomfort. Um, but if my body's adapted to this position and, and my threshold and I've built resilience in this position, this is where I rest then guess what? Me having a rounded back and rounded shoulders isn't necessarily going to be painful. And so I think about that, like in a, the example of a Jefferson curl, if I started a, a body weight Jefferson curl and I rounded my spine and, you know, some spine experts would say, well, that's a mechanism of having, you know, a, a, your, your vertebrae or your, your nucleus you know, shoot out of your spine like a jelly donut. Well, if I've trained, if I've trained in those positions with, you know, progressive overload and I've gotten those structures uh, to be resilient and strong and adapted to that position, I mean, that's not necessarily a mechanism for pain anymore. Yeah, I think um, you can look at it this way, right? That you only have so many drops in the bucket until the bucket overflows, right? Um, so going back to one of the original points Rob and Nick made was um, you're training proper movement patterns under load so that you're, you're keeping at you're not adding buckets of you're not adding drops of water to the bucket in training so that you can tolerate that that skew from proper movement when you're knocked off the ball in competition and you have to you know control right and then you've developed a motor pattern to get you back to you know a better position as quickly as possible um so so training shouldn't training rehab shouldn't add you know drops of water to the bucket to, you know, that are going to get you to overflow quickly because overflow is pain. Overflowing is an injury, but training should promote even taking drops of water out of the bucket to give you more resiliency to not, you know, to be able to tolerate that, that skewing from proper position in a training or a max lift effort. Right. Yeah. I think ultimately, um, I mean, asymmetries, right. So, um, I mean, other than a previous history, um, an injury asymmetries are a lot of times your biggest risk for future injuries because of compensation. So I think like you're saying, John, I mean, anytime, you know, in terms of training in a physical therapy setting, um, if you get uh, symmetry, I mean, why not? I mean, uh, that's kind of my basis on that. Right. If you have someone come in, they have bilateral ones on their ASLR, they can't touch their toes. Um, you know, they want to train, they're a high school athlete, you know, they maybe have shown decent technique with like a kettlebell elevated deadlift, or they've shown the ability maybe to use some light load to be able to deadlift. Like, right. what are your thoughts on that? What would you do with that person? 
Uh, I mean, for me, like, uh, I kind of have a general rule of thumb, like, before you're deadlifting, you have to touch your toes. Uh, so I would address, uh, you know, their forward uh, toe touch pattern, um, either using toe touch progression, uh, maybe some RNT techniques, some straight leg raise, mm -hmm. correct those that way first. Have you ever seen anyone not touch their toes be able to deadlift? What's your technique? Shorts out there. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a couple. Couple people come into the gym that you know exhibit limitation in an ASLR test or limitation in a toe touch pattern. Um, then you give them some weight, and their deadlift looks decent. It's not going to yeah. be perfect. Might not be to your standards as a awesome technique, but typically you would look at it and be like, "Oh, there's no shot this person's going to be able to do a trap bar deadlift," but they can do it somehow. Um, I don't know that they're they're not the, the norm for sure, but yeah. I don't know if you saw anything like that before. Yeah, I mean it's definitely out there. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's not the norm. But I think that's isn't that where like as a professional you have these progressions and regressions of an activity and, and you can still elicit some pretty good gains by having them pull from blocks or something, right? And then that's where as they find better you train them into better um, stability or position under load, hopefully we can train them into deadlifting from the floor right yeah. yeah i think that's a good point so if someone like maybe has dysfunction in the last the bottom portion of the deadlift or whatever it might be yeah i agree now you can you can still deadlift maybe just deadlift in the range that they're comfortable in um because you know let's be honest people aren't here to be good deadlifters they're right. here to be you know whatever there is at their sport they're here to you know, throw baseball as hard as they can. And, and in baseball, this is a this is a big topic too, is you know, you can a pitching coach can look at someone's mechanics and be like, oh, he's gonna break down. Really? You know, has he broken down? Like why, you know? So that you see that in baseball all the time. But this this person's mechanics aren't good. He's gonna he's gonna break down. He has dysfunctional mechanics that gonna lead to elbow and shoulder injuries. So, you know, you, this is something that's a that's a big topic as well. Well, I think so so Rob, what's your take on um like trainers that just perform correctives all the time and it doesn't look like a training session but it's like we're not going to be able to move any weight until you have a perfect perfect symmetry throughout your body right to left front to back rotation um so they just do correctives until the client leaves because they're not getting strong and improving performance yeah that's a that's a good question don yeah you you do get this person coming to your gym you know um just say they have ones, a lot of ones on their on their FMS, or they, you know, they've exhibited uh, lacking of range of motion in hips and shoulders and ankles, and they're like, "How do you function?" <laughs> you know, you look at this person, like, "How do you move around? How do you run? How do you jump? How do you play your sport?" Um, you know, that person's tough. Uh, you, you don't want to get caught doing correctives all the time. You don't want to be that guy. Like, I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not here to, you know, do low loaded exercises so you do have to create a stimuli uh somehow and there are exercises you can choose that uh you know place minimal demand from a joint range of motion perspective while they create a training stimuli um you know one quick example that i might use for someone let's say they're you know they can't have they have tight ankles and they you know don't have a ton of hip ir and er right? Something like that, where their hips and lower body are just kind of jacked up, right? Where squatting is going to be tough, you know, deadlifting with some loads going to be tough, you know, you know, maybe they could do some lunging, but maybe they're new to training, 
you know, just give that person a sled push, mm -hmm. make them sweat a little bit. You know, yeah, their, their running technique might not be perfect while they're pushing the sled, but you know, you have to kind of give a little bit to, to get a little bit and understand that, Hey, we just have to get this person sweating and moving a little bit and kind of start to build a fitness level. So I think that's kind of how I look at that. And yeah, you know, Hey, sometimes maybe in the past I would get stuck doing quote unquote, you know, correctives trying to fix their dysfunction, but you have to understand your place in the, in the spectrum and understand that they're there to you to improve performance and, and you have to provide them the fitness training. Low, low risk, high reward exercises. Slut, like to get that load, right? Ultimately, you, we don't want to be waiting around all day until those movement patterns do clean up to threes. But you know, carries, right, and putting people in positions to succeed, you know, based on their limitations. Um, I, I, I have a, I've got a question, you know, you know, for the group here. It's like, do we want to? I mean, in, in performance, we know that athletes are are being put in positions sometimes that are not ideal in training. You know, is there ever a moment or ever a case or scenario where, you know, let's say we do want to train into knee valgus. Uh, we do want to expose athletes to positions that they may experience in performance. Do we do that in a controlled setting, you know, where we can, can teach the motor control of those, those movements? So when they're performing, it's not the first time they're in that position. You know, is that appropriate? Is there how do we how do we introduce these potentially you know provocative positions for athletes or patients yeah i mean that's something that i'll address towards the end of an acl rehab like you know if, if this person especially if they are non-contact where they you know fell into knee valgus and internal rotation then um that's definitely a movement that i'll maybe actively have them um move into and out of to help train that a little bit um of course, I'm not having them jump and land in that position, but I'm still having them maybe stand on one leg and um, load their hips and move their knee into and out of like a knee valgus or hip internal rotation position so that um, they can gain some motor control, time under tension in those in those situations. Yeah, I'll definitely do stuff like that. Variability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to train variability. As much as we want them to be in perfect position all the time, they shouldn't be so ingrained in those patterns that they – get caught out of position and they get hurt because they don't know how to control it. I think, I think also it's, and we have to be careful of even, even when we're treating just general population too, is saying like, you cannot move in this certain direction. Like you cannot let your knees, you know, cave in. You cannot let your background because, you know, ultimately that's not, that's not going to be a, you know, a guaranteed, you know, pain provocation. So just, you know, telling patients, you should be able to move any way you should be able to move as long as they have the tissue capacity to do so. Yeah, like that, then that becomes like people get scared of moving, right? So that's a whole nother podcast of, of you know, working into that. But um, part of it is just training, uh, telling people, hey, your body's pretty resilient. Like it adapts really well. Um, but this is why we're going to train you in these positions most of the time so that if you got, get caught out of position, you have that a little extra room in the bucket and you're not overflowing, causing injury. Mm -hmm. Cool. So th that was a great topic, guys. We could have carried that on for, we could go another three podcasts with that, I think. Um, but basically, you know, I think the consensus is um, very rarely are you going to place strength on dysfunction. You want to try to clean up um, movement patterns as best you can to promote resiliency and, and improved mechanics of the tissues. Um, for, for better performance. Um, so thanks for listening in guys until next time. Talk to you soon.